so tonight, I want to talk to you about the comfort of His coming. Can I say to you that the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, should not be something that scares you? Should not be anything that's terrifying to you? Should not be anything that worries you? If we're talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and you being a part of that. And so last week we began to look at what the Bible teaches about the rapture. It's kind of introduced the concept to you. And tonight we're going to dig into this comforting truth that the Lord Jesus is coming back. Uh, the Bible is pretty clear, and we made this case last week. The Bible is cl pretty clear, I think, that the next major movement in the history of the world is the second coming of Christ. Now, where there is some debate is whether or not the rapture is involved in the second coming of Christ. And if there is a rapture, when that occurs. I told you that I believe the rapture will, that the second coming of Christ will be in two stages. That there is, first of all, the sudden snatching up of God's people, which we call the rapture. The catching up to the, of the church. Then there is the seven years of tribulation after the rapture. And then the second stage is the second coming of Christ at the end of that time of tribulation. Uh, that's my perspective. Others who are very godly and very smart would, would disagree with that and say, no, the rapture occurs mid-tribulation or after the tribulation. Or some would even say there really is no rapture. It's all part of the second coming. Uh, but let me one more time, in case you're taking notes, let me one more time set the stage for what I will be teaching I believe that there is indeed a rapture of the church, then there will be seven years of tribulation, and then there will be the second coming of Christ after those seven years of tribulation. Tonight, what I want to focus on, though, is the rapture. And in subsequent Sunday nights, we will talk about the tribulation. We will talk about the Antichrist. We will talk about the second coming. But tonight, I really want to be laser-focused on the rapture. And I do want to say to you that a lot of what I'll be sharing with you tonight comes from the book by David Jeremiah called, Is This the End? And then there is another book called, What in the World is Going On? Again, written by David Jeremiah. Some of the other sources that I've used in preparation for this is Billy Graham's book, Storm Warning, Wayne Gruden's book, Systematic Theology, and Warren Wiersbe's The Bible Exposition Commentary. So I just want to give you some sources or resources in case you want to do any work on your own. Now, you got your notebooks? Are you ready? All right, so there are basically two passages, some would say three, but I'm going to focus on two New Testament passages that really, I think, record the details of the rapture. Let me give you those two passages, you can write them down, and then we're going to be studying those in detail. The two passages that seem to me to really give us detail about the rapture are 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. Also, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. I think that the most concise and logical teaching about the rapture is found in that 1 Thessalonians passage. That's where we will spend the majority of our time tonight, though we will also go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me make two preliminary statements uh, about First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Actually, let's just read it first. First uh, Thessalonians, take your Bibles. And man, we're going to be all over the Bible tonight. I hope that you've got your Bible with you. 
and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning of verse 13. Here's what we read. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, or the word ignorant there means uninformed, all right? Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, before we dig into this text, I want to make a couple of preliminary statements Uh, about this passage of scripture first of all the truth about the rapture that Paul gives us in this text was given to Paul in special revelation let me show you this in, in the in the scripture verse 15 look what Paul says he says in verse 15 according to the Lord's own word we tell you in other words what Paul is going to tell us about the rapture Paul says God gave me this the Lord revealed this to me This information that Paul gives us is not found in the Gospels. There's no record of it in other places in the Gospels. This is either something that Jesus taught that was passed down orally and Paul heard about it, or it was a direct revelation to Paul about the end times. I lean in that direction that I believe this was probably a direct revelation given to Paul about the end times. And one of the reasons I believe that, because you're going to use your Bibles a lot tonight, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 real quick, over to the left, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 2 through 4. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 2, I know a man in Christ, and, and most scholars believe that Paul is referring to himself in third person here. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was called up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Paul was talking about an experience where the Lord called him up and taught him some things and gave him some information that perhaps he never gave to anybody else. And I believe that's the, the background where Paul says, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, in verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you. So what we're going to be looking at about the rapture, I just want you to understand, is not something that, uh, that Paul made up, but it's something that God revealed to him. The second thing that about this text, as far as introductory material, is that Paul's teaching in this text is a response to questions that the church members in Thessalonica had. You see, Paul and, and Silas had spent time with the church earlier. They had helped plant the church there. And he apparently had taught the church, those new believers, about the second coming. 
But if you read the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were persecuted. They were run out of town. They had to flee Thessalonica after only a few weeks. Now, get this in your mind. Here's this church planner, Paul, and his, his companion, Silas. They lead many people to faith. They're discipling people, teaching them the Bible. And one of the things that they apparently talk about is the second coming of Jesus. But a few weeks into that, they're run out of town. They, they have to leave because of the persecution. Now, you've got these new believers, and they know a little bit about the second coming. They know a little bit about the Bible, but they've got a lot of questions. And apparently, they really began to wonder about the fate of their loved ones who had died. Would they miss the second coming? Look in verses 13 through 15. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, uninformed about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. In other words, apparently there were a group there in the church and they were really grieving that their mom and their dad and their loved ones have died. And in their opinion, they, they, they feared that they would miss the second coming. He says in verse 14, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Paul said they're not going to miss it. They're actually going to be part of it. And we'll talk about that in, in a few moments. Verse 15, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul assures these young believers in Thessalonica that they will not indeed, their loved ones will not miss out on the, res, on the resurrection and the rapture, but indeed will be a part of that process. So that's the introductory material to this text. And what I want to do now is to give you three statements about the rapture, try to give you some categories to help you better understand this event we call the rapture. I hope you got your notebooks and I hope you have your Bibles because we're going to be looking at a lot of good stuff and running from verse to verse. Here's three statements about the rapture that will help you understand that event. Number one, first of all, this, this is an obvious statement, but an important one. The rapture is a sudden event. The rapture is a sudden event. Now, the reason I say that is because in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, there are many signs about the second coming. Now, follow me. Listen carefully. Matthew 24 and 25, there are many signs listed regarding the second coming of Jesus. Signs like war and famine and pestilences and earthquakes, all kinds of signs that are mentioned there. But it is important to realize that none of those signs point to the first stage of His coming. Or to say it this way, none of those signs precede the rapture. Those signs are about the second stage or the second coming. But the signs that are mentioned in Matthew 24 and 25 are not about, in my estimation, are not about uh, the rapture. They're about the second coming. You see, what you need to understand is that the rapture could occur at any moment and there are no signs that will precede that event. Okay, are you with me? Does that make sense? Write this down on your notebooks. Let me give you... Uh, a word that, that you need to become familiar with. This is known as the doctrine of imminency. The doctrine of imminency. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-C-Y. The, the doctrine of imminency. There's a man named Reynolds Showers who really gives us a great insight in what this word imminent means. This is, I think, so fascinating. And I want to make sure that you hear this. 
I'm just going to read what he's written about this doctrine of imminency and what this word imminent means. He said, and I quote, the English word imminent means hanging over one's head, ready to befall or to overtake one, close at hand in its incidence. In other words, something is imminent if it's hanging over your head and it's about to fall. Thus, he says, and I quote, Thus, an imminent event is one that is always hanging overhead, is constantly ready to befall or overtake a person, is always close at hand in the sense that it could happen at any moment. And then listen to what he says, and I quote, Other things may happen before the imminent event, but nothing must happen uh, or nothing must take place before that happens. Let me read that again. I messed it up. Other things may happen before the imminent event, but nothing else must take place before it happens. If something else must take place before an event can happen, then it is not imminent. The necessity of something else taking place first destroys the concept of imminency. When an event is truly imminent, listen to this last sentence, when the event is truly imminent, we never know exactly when it will happen. Bible expositor A.T. Pearson puts it a lot more succinctly. He says, imminence is the combination of two conditions, certainty and uncertainty. By an imminent event, we mean one which is certain to occur at some time, but uncertain as to when. So it's certain to occur, but uncertain as to when. The awareness that Jesus could return at any time means that this event is imminent. Now, take your Bibles, go with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I told you that was the second passage that really gives us some information about the rapture. Second, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Look how Paul talks about the imminency of his return. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and following. Listen, Paul says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. The word mystery means something that has been hidden but is now revealed. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I once saw that on a baby nursery and in church. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. <laughs> Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And then he says... In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, remember that, the trumpet will sound, we'll come back to that. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come to true. Death has been swallowed up in what, church? You don't need to fear victory. You don't need to be afraid of victory. Not if you know the Lord, but the thing I want you to focus on right now is he says, listen, listen, I tell you a mystery, we'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. That's talking about the imminency of his return, that there's not this long list of things that has to happen before he returns, but the rapture could be imminent and could happen at any time. So the rapture is indeed a sudden event. Number two, this is, we're going to get a little deeper, and then on number three, we're really going to get deeper. Number two, the rapture is a selective event. It is a selective event. In other words, 
the rapture is reserved solely for those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I will say that one more time. The rapture is solely for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul affirmed the selective nature of the rapture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look in verse 23. Look how he described the participants of the rapture. He says in uh, chapter 15, verse 23, But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, watch how he describes it, those who what? Those who belong to him. Paul is referring about those, this is going to affect those who belong to him. This is going to, those who belong to him are the ones who will be participating in this event. So this is a selective event only for those who put their faith in Christ. Now going back to 1 Thessalonians again, go back there again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This, of course, as I said earlier, is Paul's main passage on the rapture. And he affirmed the selective nature of the rapture four times in six verses. In fact, if you'll look at the first word of verse 13, what is the first word of verse 13? Brothers. Term used in the New Testament almost exclusively to describe believers. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, he refers to those who have fallen asleep in him. The beautiful definition of death, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Again, referring, of course, to believers. Verse 16, he talks about the dead in Christ. Another reference to believers. And in verse 17, look how he describes it. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. He refers to those who will meet the Lord and be with the Lord, certainly a reference to believers. These passages leave no doubt that the rapture is reserved exclusively for believers in Jesus Christ. So here's my crucial, my crucial question for you is, are you a follower of Jesus? And are you certain of that? Because the rapture, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm trying to make sure that you have this awareness. Because the rapture is imminent, could occur at any time. You don't have time to prepare for that event. You don't have time to say, oh, I see the signs are occurring, so therefore I need to get my heart right. No, it could occur at any time. The rapture of the church could be imminent at any time. It could occur at any time. So are you a follower of Jesus Christ, and are you sure of that? I want you to think about what that time will be like when Jesus suddenly removes his people from the world. I want you to think about what the TV, what, what's going to be on the television station. You just talk to me for a moment. Uh, I, I want your input here for a moment. What do you think the TV stations will be saying when, when all of a sudden Jesus takes what could be billions of people off of the planet simultaneously? What, what will the TV stations be saying? You have to say it louder. All right? <laughs> okay, okay, let's get back. Let's get back. Uh, it's, it's going downhill, I can tell. It's going downhill. <laughs> In his book, 
the rapture, Tim LaHaye, Dr. Tim LaHaye vividly describes what that day might be like. He, and, and I just quote him. He says, when Christ calls his living saints to be with him, millions of people will suddenly vanish from the earth. An unsafe person who happens to be in the company of a believer will know immediately that his friend has vanished. There will certainly be a worldwide recognition of the fact for when more than one half of a billion people suddenly depart the earth, leaving their earthly belongings behind, pandemonium and confusion will certainly reign for a time. The rapture will be a selective event that will leave billions of people behind. The third point is where I really want to spend a little time and dig in tonight. And that is the rapture is a spectacular event. Going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to see that this is indeed going to be a spectacular event. First of all, the rapture will be initiated by the descent of Christ himself. Look what he says in verse 16. For the Lord himself... Not just the Lord, but the Lord himself. Paul is making the point. This is going to be Jesus. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. Do you remember what the angel said in Acts chapter 1 verse 11? Can somebody look that up real quick? I I want your participation. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. Do you remember what the angel said in that text? Acts chapter 1 verse 11. So the angel said, men of Galilee, why are you looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, this same Jesus will come again just like, this is Shorter's translation, this same Jesus will come again just like you've seen him leave. Just like you've seen him go up through the clouds, you're going to one day see him come down through the clouds. This is what Paul is referring to in verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. History is not haphazard. It's moving toward a specific point, and that specific point or that specific time is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he does appear, the Bible says in this text that three sensational stirring sounds will reverberate across the heavens. Look at verse 16 and tell me what the three sounds are. Verse 16, what are the three sounds that will reverberate across the heavens? A shout... The voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Now, we're not exactly sure what all of that means, but there is speculation that I think is is pretty uh, accurate, perhaps. We'll talk about the the first one in detail, but first of all, he says, look at at the verse, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. Or with a shout, a loud command. If you're taking notes, you might want to put in parentheses beside that, like a military commander. This seems to be the kind of command that a a, a general would, would give to his troops. And so the Bible says when Jesus comes back, when there is a rapture, the Lord himself will come back. And the first thing is there will be a loud command or a shout 
perhaps like a military commander. And I'll talk about what that might be in just a moment. And then he says, and also there will be another sound, and that'll be the voice of the archangel. The archangel mentioned here is Michael. There are two angels mentioned in the Bible. One is Gabriel, who announces the, uh, the birth of Jesus to Mary. Michael appears to be the archangel who was what we might call God's warring angel. Perhaps Michael speaks to give instructions to the legions of angels who will protect us from Satan's forces. We don't know, but, but the Bible says that there will be the voice of the archangel speaking something. Perhaps giving instructions to the legions of angels for what is about to occur. And then, the third thing is, there is the trumpet call of God. Put besides that, if you're taking notes, a call announcing the believer's reception into heaven. Uh, that's just speculation, but I believe it might be accurate that there will be the trumpet call of God announcing the believer's reception into heaven. And one of the reasons I say that, put your finger back there in 1 Thessalonians and go with me one more time to 1 uh, Corinthians 15. A lot of back and forth between these passages, but as we compare these scriptures, we can get a better understanding. 1 Corinthians 15 Look at verse 51 and 52. Let's start at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, and watch this, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. And when the trumpet sounds, what's going to happen? The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So there isn't this trumpet call involved in the raising of the dead, and perhaps in their, their reception into heaven. There's three sounds, a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. But what I really want to focus on is that first one. This loud command, or this shout. For the Lord himself, verse 16... 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. Do you remember in John chapter 11 when Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus? And when he went to the grave of Lazarus, he commanded him to come forth. He spoke, perhaps with a shout, and commanded, Lazarus, come forth. I believe, in essence, he's going to do the same thing at the rapture. That the Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven. He will issue this, this command. Like a general issuing a command. And the Bible says in verse 16, And when he issues the, this command, the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, the bodies of those who have known Christ as Savior will literally rise from the grave and into the air to be with the Lord. Now I need you to be very focused on what I'm about to tell you. I want to pause here and explain what happens to those believers who die. Where they are now and what happens. So I'm about to get knee deep in some stuff here. And I need to make sure that you're focused with me. So the Bible says that the rapture, here's, here's how it's going to unfold that there will be this loud command from the Lord Himself, and the dead in Christ will rise first and meet the Lord in the air. 
Now look at verse 14 before I, I get too deep into this. Look at verse 14. We believe, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. All right, does that give anybody a question? Does that cause anybody to say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound quite right? Because in verse 14, it seems like that at the rapture, God's going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died, those believers who have died. God will bring with Jesus those who have died. And yet it says in verse 16 that he's going to speak and the dead will rise first. So it sounds like almost a contradiction. Get your Bibles and get your pen and let's look at some scripture together. I write down this reference, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's interesting that Paul paints this picture of somehow being away from the body and at home with the Lord. I'm just going to give you some scriptures, then we'll, we'll talk about them. Philippians chapter 1, write that down. And turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 21 and following. For to me, Apostle Paul is writing, he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on, to go on living in the body. Notice he doesn't say, if I go on living. What does he say? If I go on living in the body. Read your Bibles carefully. If I go on living in the body. This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, he's not talking about his body departing. But he's talking about something from him departing his body and going to be with Christ. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. One other scripture, and then we'll talk about what all this means. James chapter 2, verse 26. James chapter 2, write that down and turn there. James chapter 2, verse 26. He says, as the body without the what, church? The body without the spirit is dead. Can, can I just give you that basic definition of what death is? Death is there is a body, but there is no spirit in that body anymore. Does that make sense? So here's what happens. At death, the spirit leaves the body. And the body, using the words of the Bible here that we'll look at in a moment, the body essentially, the Bible describes it as, as going to sleep. The body. In other words, the body no longer is functioning. So the spirit or the soul goes to be with Jesus at the time of death. 
if they have trusted Christ as Savior. The spirit goes to be with the Lord Jesus at the time of death, and their body goes to sleep. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. So at the rapture, when Jesus comes back, He's not coming back by Himself. And I'm about to get happy because let me tell you something. At the rapture, when Jesus comes back, He's bringing my mama and my daddy and my brother with Him. At the rapture, when Jesus comes back, the Spirit that is still alive, because the Spirit, your Spirit, my Spirit, our Spirit lives forever somewhere. Your Spirit may be living in heaven, or your Spirit may be living in hell, but your Spirit is eternal. Your Spirit is living somewhere. The body dies, the body gives way, but when the body dies, the Spirit leaves the body. And when the rapture occurs, the Bible says the Lord Jesus is going to bring with Him, or God will bring with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in Him. He was talking about their spirit. Now, an interesting thing here, you might want to put this on your notes. The Bible never uses the word sleep or asleep to describe the death of an unbeliever. Interesting little thing. If you study the Bible, whenever it talks about the body sleeping, it never refers to an unbeliever but it is often used to describe the death of a believer. Paul used the word sleep to describe those believers who have died in the Lord. So, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to be very clear with you about something. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There, the dead in Christ is referring to the bodies of those who have died knowing Christ. Verse 14 says, He will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. He'll bring their spirits. But verse 16 says, And their body will rise at the rapture. Now let me be clear about one thing before we go further. The soul does not sleep at the time of death. There is a denomination that talks about soul sleep. But I don't believe soul sleep is found in the Bible anywhere. I think your soul or your spirit immediately goes into the presence of Jesus. It's not your soul that sleeps. It's your body. The body is resting in the ground, ready to be awakened when Jesus comes back. Dr. Arnold, I have a hard time with this guy's name. Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. I'm not sure if that's right, but you wouldn't know either since you can't read my note. Dr. Arnold Frutenbaum says this, and I thought this was really good. It's, let me quote it. The Bible views the death of believers as a temporary suspension of physical activity until the believer awakens at the rapture. Just as physical sleep is temporary, so is death. It is a temporary suspension of physical activity until one awakens at the resurrection. There is no cessation of spirit and soul activity, only physical activity. So when the Bible talks about, our, uh, about sleeping at death, it's talking about your body, not your spirit. Now, are you, are you ready to focus with me? Because I know what the question is going to be after this is over. So let me go ahead and answer the question. It always brings up the question of how is God going to do that? And then, then I had the conversation just the last week. 
uh, and, and it's always a good conversation. But listen, because and, and I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be um, sensitive here. But when we die, our bodies compose, right? When we die, our bodies go back to dust, or decompose is what I was trying to say. When we die, our bodies go back to dust. In fact, Genesis 3.19. Uh, go, this is fascinating. Genesis 3.19. Do we have time? Yeah, we got time. Genesis 3.19. This is in the Garden of Eden, and God is pronouncing this judgment on Adam and Eve for their sin. And he says in verse 19, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now think about that for a moment. It says in Genesis 3.19, you're going to work the ground. And by the way, the ground is also where you came from. It'll be an ongoing reminder that, that you're nothing but dust and dirt. That's where you came from. It became a symbol of, of Adam's eventual death. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And what I would say to you and to anyone who has this question is, if God formed us from the dust of the ground, he can do it again at the resurrection. And then the other question that people always ask is, but what about those who have been cremated? And I'm not trying to make a joke. What about those who have been cremated? Or, even yet, worse than that, what about those who died in the world, uh, what was the buildings, the World Trade Center? What about those who, who basically evaporated in that explosion or in that fire? What about them? Write this down on your books and please remember this. The Bible doesn't teach that God will put the elements of our body back together. The Bible teaches a resurrection, not a reconstruction. That'll help you. There's nowhere that I find that the Bible teaches that God's going to reconstruct us. But the Bible does say He's going to resurrect us. Apostle Paul explained it, I think, better than certainly I ever could. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. 1 Corinthians 15. Look how Paul describes this resurrection rather than this reconstruction. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? That's a good question. That's the kind of question you and I have. And yet Paul says, what does he say? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun, he, he said, for example, look, up, look in the sky. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon and another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star to star in splendor. So it will be, watch this, verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the body. 
The body that is sown is what, church? Perishable. It is raised imperishable. In other words, what is sown and what is raised is different. Look at the scripture again. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. When it was placed in the ground, it was a natural body. And it is raised a spiritual body. And then Paul says, if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And he goes on to explain all this uh, to us in in the following verses. I I don't have time to read it all. But Paul's making this point. Let me summarize it this way. Paul's making the point that when you plant a seed, the flower that grows up out of the ground is not the same as the seed you planted. It doesn't look the same, and yet there's continuity between the seed and the plant. I mean, you never, you never, plant, you never plant a flower seed and, and expect that seed just to come back just the way it is. You plant the flower seed, and then you expect a beautiful flower to come out of it. And Paul says, that's the way it is when we die. When you plant that body in the ground, yes, it's going to decompose. But when the resurrection occurs, God's going to bring it up out of the ground and it's going to be a a beautiful flower. God's going to bring it up out of the ground. It's going to be different from the body that was planted. It is not reconstruction. It's resurrection. So the body He brings up out of the ground is going to be different from the body that is planted. Does that make sense to anybody? What what you plant is different than what God brings up. So how's God going to do all that? I don't know. I don't, you know, know, and again, I'm not trying to make light, I'm not trying to make fun, but what, what about those people, they scatter their ashes across the ocean? I don't know. But I do know this. He picked up dirt out of the ground and made Adam. I think he can handle all of it. I'm not worried about how he's going to do it. I'm just glad he is going to do it. The dead body is the seed that's planted in the ground. The resurrection body is the flower that comes up from the seed. So, I I need to close, I need to stop. Uh, Okay, let let me just, let me just, uh, let me go to verses 16 and 17 and 18, and, and then we'll be done. First, going back, one final time, going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, that is, their bodies, will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left, that's us, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In other words, and, and I wish I had time to get, go back into it, but 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says you're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So when the dead in Christ are raised first, here's basically, let me summarize it for you. Um, the body goes to sleep at death. The spirit goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord returns, he'll bring the spirit of the believers with him. He will call out their dead bodies to come up out of the grave, just like he called Lazarus from the grave. And when their bodies come up out of the grave, your body and soul will be reunited and changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to a glorified body. And then, this is where it gets good. And then he says... 
Verse 17, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them, those who have been raised from the dead, their bodies reunited with their spirit, they have now a glorified body, will be called up together with them, my mom, my dad, my brother, your loved ones as well, will be called up together with the Lord in the clouds, and watch this, to meet the Lord in the air. We've walked with Jesus by faith here on earth. There's coming a day when we'll see him face to face. I was thinking of that old hymn, and I got my hymnal out, and I copied it, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face to face, oh blissful moment. Face to face, to see and know. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face I shall behold Him, far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all of His glory, I shall see Him by and by. Anybody put an amen there? Can I show you what he says at the end of verse 17? He says at the end of verse 17, And so we will be with the Lord forever. I've underlined that word forever. So we will be with the Lord forever. Let those words sink in for just a moment. That we'll meet the Lord Jesus and we will be with Him forever. I want to close with one final word of encouragement. In verse 17, I want you to look at one final word. It is the word we. In verse 17. After that, we who are still alive will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, watch this word, and so we, we will be with the Lord forever. Who is we? Our believing Christian friends and loved ones who have died, as well as those of us who are still alive at the rapture. So we will be with the Lord forever. We're not only going to meet the Lord Jesus at the rapture, we'll also be reunited with our believing friends and loved ones. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's why he ends it with these words in verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. There is nothing fearful about the rapture if you know Jesus as your Savior. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I don't mean to just keep talking about my mom and dad and my brother and all those kind of people because you've got loved ones too. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? Being with your husband, your wife, or your son, or your daughter, your mother, your father, your brother, or your sister. And you're reunited. Paul says, and you will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words pray with you. Father, we've just scratched the surface of what that day will be like, but what a day it will be. My Jesus, I shall see.
Help us this week to realize that your return is imminent. And may we be ready. And may we look forward to that day. And if there are any who are not ready, if there are any who are fearful, if there are any who are uncertain, may you deal with them through your Holy Spirit. They might turn their heart and life over to you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here tonight.